Welcome to episode 9 of the MLR Rant Podcast Show. This week, we discuss the top picks of the Major League Rugby draft, and that, ladies and gentlemen, shared by myself, your host, Ty Braga, with Scott Ferrara and Rob Hammerschmidt. This is the MLR Rant. Welcome to the Major League Rugby Rant Podcast Show. My name is Ty Braga, your host for the day's activities. And joining me here today, we have the familiar faces of Scott Ferrara and Rob Hammerschmidt. Today, we, gentlemen, are going to tackle the topic of who are the best picks in our mind for the MLR Collegiate Draft. It has been a challenging task to be able to choose who might be the picks that these major league teams will eye. And of course, they haven't had the greatest opportunity because this has been a special conditions for rugby this year. But Rob, let's uh, let our viewers know, of course, how we came to our conclusion. So I'll hand it over to you to let our viewers know more. So th- th- this has been like a full-time job for me for the last two weeks, uh, by the way. But it's been a lot of fun and really uh, interesting because while I'm familiar with the college, you know, a little bit uh, through Lindenwood University, um, I don't have a lot of experience with other parts of the collegiate system. So it's been good to become more familiar with some of the players and some of the teams that are out there. And the way we arrived at this was um, it was initiated through a DJ coil, Alex Goff combo uh, series. It was a, the third part in a four part series on uh, the MLR and, and related draft um, um, information. And they specifically put out a list of, of names of, of players to watch. And so based upon that, uh, I built a more or less a database uh, of players um, in each position. And then I reached out to those players through social media. And I basically asked each player if they would provide um, us with a, um, with a highlight video uh, that we could peruse and take a look at to get a better sense of um, what kind of player they are, because quite frankly, uh, the college system is not that well developed in terms of tele- uh, televising games uh, like the college football or basketball um, system is. So it was important for us to be able to really get uh, a much better uh, eyes on uh, look at how these players play their style of game. Right. And, you know, those, it was an invaluable resource. They obviously done a great job and we're going to base it off that, but Scott, I know that uh, it's important to be able to have people understand how does it work? What is the MLR draft? I mean, if you're only tuning in now, what do people need to know? So the basics of the MLR draft are it, it works kind of like the NFL draft and players have to declare. So you declare for the draft saying you, you declare your intentions that if you are drafted, um, the MLR team that drafts you will have one year to sign you. So there's a one-year rights obligation. Now, if you don't sign with the team, you can then become a free agent the year after. So for the for the entire year, you either can sign for the team that drafted you or you have to wait to become a free agent. If you did not declare, you still have to wait the year. So the incentive for most players is just to declare that way they become a free agent this season. Um, it's open to juniors and seniors, just like the NFL draft. And it's also a um, draft where it goes by standings. So reverse order of standings. So in this draft, the inaugural draft, um, L.A., and uh, Dallas would have the first two picks because they are the expansion teams, and then it would go from the bottom of the table all the way up. There's two rounds, um, and unfortunately Toronto's not participating because Canadian players um, don't follow the same rules as, as, as American uh, collegiate players do, so Toronto's not participating. So there's actually going to be two 12-pick um, rounds 
Uh, and that's going to be on June 13th, next Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central. Um, the MLR has said that's going to be a live show through their social media. I know uh, our buddies Dan Power and, and Pete Steinberger hosting. Um, they still haven't decided the social media destination yet. My my thought is it's going to be either a Twitch Live or a Facebook Live. And we're actually going to be presenting that to you live as well. Uh, we're in a unique setting that we will probably be the only – outside MLR influence to, to talk live about the show. And, and what we're going to try and do is as the picks come in, we're going to have live analysis. We're going to have some highlight reels from some of the, from some of the players Rob has been dealing with. And we're also going to get try. We'll try and get live interviews of the players right after their pick. So I think Ty and Rob were in a unique setting for us to, to talk about this and really analyze it and report on it. Right. And it's really brilliant way for people to be able to understand the whole scope and scale of what this is, the impact uh, obviously, these players have been uh, working with Rob now to be able to share that footage, which is going to be valuable for, for anybody that's watching, to be able to have a quick snippet of what they look like out there on the field, you know, and hopefully you can see exactly what these MLR teams are able to see inside them too. And that's why we're taking the opportunity to highlight some of these key prospects to be able to recognize these standout players and who we, as the MLR rant, consider as some of the favorites. And it's also easy to be able to recognize that while we don't know where they will go or if they will be chosen, this is purely our formed opinion from what we've seen, what we know, and also taking a deeper insight, looking deeper into what the teams may very well need moving forward, which is another great aspect to be able to look at because these players are coming in very young. They're not necessarily going to be considered as starting players but you're looking at that next generation to groom to become that those wonderful players. Uh, I know NOLA has a great tradition in this already. Rugby ATL has a great tradition in this already. And, of course, the list could go on. So it's great to be able to see this for the MLR draft, be able to show a clear pathway from college to Major League Rugby. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is where we start here today. So who wants to be able to kick it off between you and uh, – between Rob and uh, – and Scott, who wants to take the floor with the first pick? I'll give it to Rob since he's the reigning champion. <clears throat> okay. All right. He says that with a certain degree of cynicism. <laughs> so so first I would I would like to to mention before we as we kick this off that you know uh, Scott mentioned the uh, the draft order. We have to remember uh that Nola actually traded um to move up in the draft that they not only got their 10th right. pick in the first round, but they also um, received uh, the second pick from uh, LA. Correct. Correct. And Houston yeah. got rid of all their picks. Right. And, and I think there's a recognition there that, that NOLA is, is looking to add depth and they're looking to add uh, development uh, to their side. So, you know, I don't think we can ignore that some of these teams might not pick the best available. They might be picking the guy that they think is going to fit their system in a year or two years down the road that they want to see develop. So, um, you know, those are things Yeah. Just to give a little bit of further background, you know, we were fortunate enough to be able to have uh, coach Nate Osborne on the show a few weeks back and he revealed that this has always been a part of their strategy when they look at developing their team. And they had had in the past, you know, probably about nine players that were chosen from college level, young players that are, you know, have made their way into the team. Some of them, you know, starting players right now, having come from the same beginnings. 
So, you know, it's great to be able to see that. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised again, as you, as you so rightly pointed out, that they will continue that same trend. But then on the other hand, you have a team like Houston who's traded it uh, or uh, LA who's asked to be able to trade there so they can gain another additional international player. So it's a difference in strategy. It's a different in, a difference in development. Uh, it's not to say that one is right or wrong. It's about what are the needs for your team. Well, and you see that you see that in the other sports. You know, the, in the NFL, there's teams that try and pick their their players via free agency. And then you have teams like Green Bay. Historically, is a team that doesn't make a big splash of free agency, and they really rely on the draft for their prospects. And I think having this draft and eventually having hopefully a combine next year and, and having more video out there without this COVID epidemic, you'll see team strategies a little more clearer way before the draft is going to start. Right. And, you know, the downside is we haven't had the same buildup that we might want to be able to have for next year, but it's already a great opportunity. It's going to be exciting to be able to see. It's all breaking new ground and it's going to be making history for the first time. So any of these players are fortunate to be a part of this. However, it is also important to note that I think there are near 400 people uh, that have entered but obviously with only 12 picks in each round and two rounds, there's 24 that will be chosen for the privilege of having the opportunity to join the MLR. So let's find out, again, leading back to it, who might some of those players be? So uh, let's start off at the hooker position. And um, I hope I don't seem like too much of a homer, but one of the guys I really like was Stephen McLeish. Um, Stephen's from uh, LU. Yeah, he's from LU. Here's what I liked about Stephen's highlight reel that I didn't see in some of the other hookers. He actually had a feature on there of his ability to throw the ball in from a line out. Um, and, you know, in the college game, sometimes you can get other other players to play that role. But remember, when professionals and you go up in the ranks, hookers become more specialists. They become better at throwing in. And so what you want to see is a hooker that can throw the ball in well and has a good range. Um, and Stephen has that. He's a strong runner. Uh, he has a real solid core, uh, you know, big hips, uh, strong legs, runs hard, um, and he's, uh, I think, deceptively quick for a hooker uh, and would fit in well nice, um, you know, in a one three three one system where he's out in the wing waiting to, to help out a, a, a wing and support. I want to jump in there because you hit the nail on the head, though, is that one three three pod format, you know. It, obviously, it's a familiar structure to anybody who watches and understands attack structure in rugby. Uh, but what I wanted to be able to, to illustrate is when I watched his reel, I mean, I would choose him too. So first of all, let me just say that I think that's a great pick there. So I would also second that choice there, Rob, that with Stephen, he's a great hooker option. Um, he's a good runner. He's good with the ball in hand. As you say, he's learning some of the specialist skills. And of course, that'll continue to grow. But in regards to the one three three one format, I mean, he's leading that pod. And he's got a, an ability from the reel that I had seen to wait until that absolute last second before contact is made um, and pass it out just before, which is really what you want to do is draw in the defense as much as possible. If you can take two guys to be able to tackle you, you're opening up a mismatch later. So I found that through his reel quite a few times, which is really great because either hookers uh, or young players, in fact, take the hookers away, young players, will take the contact, go down, not keeping the ball moving forward. And what they'll do is they'll take the contact, go down, take the contact, go down. They're not necessarily great decision makers until much later in their careers. But it seemed to me that he had a good firm head on his shoulders and understood those situations and waited for that last fraction of a second to give a player a pass to and gave him that advantage. 
It's funny because I didn't even, I don't actually have any hookers on my list, but that's only because the way I went about my list was I went with guys who I think who are ready to step in to play some minutes right now and some guys you could take chances on that you're willing to develop. And I feel like, you know, really looking at, at all the hookers right now, you do need that, um, that level of experience. So I don't think picking a hooker in in the first round is really kind of what most teams are going to be looking for. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I get you. And I wouldn't necessarily say that the hooker would be my best pick unless I understood that that's exactly what I needed. Um, right. It's just nice to be able to start up front and work our way through. And that's how I kind of structured my plan. Can I just add real quick? I also like Liam Patel champion at hooker too. I just didn't see him throwing it all in his highlight okay. reel. Not that, that he should be faulted for that. Uh, I liked I liked the other parts of his game as well. So I think between McClish and, and, and Patel champion, there, there's two good hookers that could be selected to, to develop to be in an MLR side. Right. Well, if we moved on to the next point, which is about front rowers, uh, Scott, I'm going to hand it to you. Uh, being yeah. a, a prop yourself, what were some of your picks there? So I, I picked uh, two Lucys and, and a tight head. So uh, real quick, I picked Nate Shipley, uh, Cal Poly, uh, loose head. And uh, Matt Davey, Indiana, tight head. And I think that they could play minutes now because they have the size and experience. I also picked um, as my top 12 Adonis Lee Johnson. He's a loose head at a Humboldt State. He has an X factor that you don't see in a lot of props, which is he's very offensive-minded. He will be very quick to pick up and go no matter where it is. And I think it, he, he's like uh, Rooney's Anthony Parry, except he has a bigger frame. And they can – uh, he could be taught the finer points of the scrum, but that offensive drive is is an X factor and can't be taught. So I think Adonis Lee Johnson is one of those players that maybe you take a chance on because you see the athleticism and what he has to offer, and then you teach him the position later. Right. I hear what you're saying is that obviously there's – I mean, a huge element about this is what is the potential, right, and how do you measure potential? Uh, you have to see something, and that's experience that gives you the ability to see something like that. You know, when you had spoken about uh, uh, props, you had, I think you mentioned Nate Shipley. That's one that popped up for me on the radar, and I'll tell you why. I mean, first of all, I like the fact that he's uh, a Colorado player, Glendale Merlins. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I got to find some some loyalty <laughs> there. But what I found most interesting, and you will see this when I look at the players that I had chosen, I wasn't only looking at how they had chosen to be listed in the draft. I was looking at the potential outside of that because we have to recognize, even though you decided – I'm drafting as a wing or I'm drafting as a lock. That might not very well be the reason that you're chosen, right? You got to look at the scope and scale of what they can do and see where they'll fit in. And it may very well evolve. So I chosen Nate because he's quite a tall prop. I mean, at six foot four, he's tall. You got to think about that up front in, in the line. You got a couple of mismatches there. Uh, he's a large uh, loose head. I think he could make a great lock if he was choosing another position. Uh, he's got I think the right he'd make a great man, honestly. Say again. I think he make a great eight man, to be quite honest. And that was going to be my very next point as well. So when you're looking at the, at the scrum, I mean, obviously we can identify him as a great forward. If he could have the skill set that says, okay, I got the front row, I'm a second rower, and I'm a Lucy. Man, wouldn't you want that guy in your field? You know? So I think that that's, that's an, a, 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 one of the reasons I would have highlighted him uh, there. I mean, Rob, did you have any thoughts that you wanted to share? Yeah, uh, you know, Shipley came up for me too. He kind of reminded me of Patty Ryan. Uh, mm-hmm. right. 
um, in that, you know, big barrel chest, um, really, you know, go forward ball. Um, I, I really liked how he looked. He did have some some uh, video of himself in the scrum. Uh, I don't think I ever saw him get driven back. Now, of course, in these highlight reels, they're going to show the best stuff that they have. But, um, you know, one thing I noted in my notes is that, you know, even when the scrum kind of got tweaked, you I saw him adjust his position and always keep a nice um, you know, uh, uh, position, a flat back position. He was able mm. to adjust himself uh, to the to what was happening in the scrum, and I thought that showed a lot of experience uh, and a lot of um, strength to core strength to keep yourself in that good uh, front lean, you know, eyes up position, which is says a lot about him. Um, I also like Spencer Kruger and Elijah Hayes. Elijah Hayes, I didn't see any uh, scrum. Uh, scrummaging from those two. I liked what they did in the loose. Hayes is a big lad. Uh, I think he was like 280, so he definitely has a size to play on the MLR. And Spencer Kruger is really mobile. I liked him too for that reason. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, all great prospects there. And I see your logic behind why you might have mentioned that, especially when you're talking about scrummaging. It's, you know, loose head, tight head, front row in general is all specialist positions. Yeah. So let's move on to, uh, well, I'm going to propose my next one, which is the loose forwards. Being an ex-Lucy myself, I got two names here that I liked. One was Jack Russell, because I just think that that's like the, like a dog nipping around. It just sounded great to me. He probably hate that I say that, but it happened anyways. Um, <laughs> so the reason being Jack Russell, uh, great inside step of the left foot. I mean, the footage I had seen, he managed to be able to, to, to step inside sharp and, and passing through the tackles, breaking tackles uh, with ball in hand. So he's got a bit of pace, though, too. Um, I put him at seven, put him at eight, um, you know, at six. I don't think you need – I would put the slower of the two at six and the outside at, at seven. Uh, great line running, great line breaks. I can play him at eight for sure. Then the other name was Tommy Clark. Now, here you got the experience of an All-American under-20 player, uh, great at seven, um, good upper body strength, great on his feet. What do you guys think? Go ahead, Scott. Um, I, uh, I, I, the, the, yes, <laughs> all those guys are good. Um, the, the, I looked at Justin Johnson uh, out of life. Um, because he's big and he's quick uh, uh, with the offense, but my big one is um, is um, oh my god is uh, Muala out of Southern Virginia. Um, two reasons this this another X factor guy that I think if if for potential reasons you could teach him to be better in the scrum. Um, he's built like a brick shit house. I think he's like six three two sixty five um, and solid. Uh, uh, big Hanko uh, Hermeshu kind of guy, um, and he's actually also older than a lot of these guys coming out of college. I think he has two or three years. There's an age difference there coming out of Southern Virginia, starting his, his collegiate rugby career later. Um, and I think that maturity might give him an advantage on yeah. learning how to do different things and kind of meshing with the team versus a guy coming straight out of college. So again, Jeff Johnson is your big, is your big quick guy out of life. And, and Moala is kind of that X factor again. So, so, um, I agree with Justin Johnson. I thought he was physical. I thought he had the build. He reminded me a lot of Malcolm May just in his overall physique. I mean, just a, a man child um, for a young guy. Um, now I'm going to, I'm going to rely on uh, Ty here because you were familiar with Colorado's roster. Who was the number seven that had dreadlocks that played for, for Colorado? Connor Cook. Yeah. Connor Cook. So one of my picks in the loose was Joe Russert uh, Cuddy. 
he and and not just because of the long hair. Um, you know, <laughs> Joe um, really played a lot like that. I mean, just like a a, an, a motor that would not stop. That's uh, that's all I could say when I watch his videotape. Like he did not stop around the pitch. He was everywhere, um, and that's what you want in a number seven. You want a number seven to be disruptive force. Right. Uh, on the defense, you want the, the, him to always have his nose around the ball looking for action. Uh, and he was a guy that stood out in that regard. I also like Bronson Tellis. Uh, Bronson's actually right. listed a, as a lock, um, but at 6'2", I think he's a much more um, a, a blindside. Um, big strapping kid. I forgot his weight was like uh, like 235 or 245, maybe even, maybe even listed 260. But he was a, a big kid, um, mobile uh, good rug, rugby IQ. I liked him a lot as well. Um, and before we get to the backs, I want to go to locks because I think both, uh, you know, Ty, you skipped over uh, one of the <laughs> positions. Real quick, though, going back, going back to Lucy's real quick, Tommy Clark out of AIC, he's a very, very small flanker. Uh, he definitely couldn't play lock. So I'm wondering if somebody picks him up because he, he was a Schultz Award finalist. So right. he had some game. I'm wondering if somebody picks him up and maybe tries to play him at hook. Um, that would be an interesting move for him because I think he's just undersized uh, to play professionally on 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 the blind side, to be quite honest. But now, now you can go to your locks. <laughs> <laughs> and here's why I want to talk about locks, and it's because um, I, I don't know where I heard it, but a few weeks back, uh, one of the things, and I think it was in association with Luke White, um, that there's kind of a a shortage of quality locks, particularly American. Um, quality locks. You know, you have, um, um, especially in MR, Luke White is a prop, uh, but yet he's he's playing at lock, you know. So, uh, where we have like five or six American locks. It's 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 ridiculous. I mean, Alex McDonald, Trevor Cassidy, uh, Matt Herkin, Herk, uh, um, Charlie Hewitt, and Hanko. I mean, that's eight, eight props almost, uh, eight locks almost. I mean, and they're all American. They're all Eagle eligible. So, I mean, I think it's mostly Rudy has stolen that out of, out of everybody else. But I mean, Hank goes like what? Six, two. Yeah. But he, he doesn't play that way. But. Yeah. And I know I, I, what I'm looking for in a lock is somebody that's rangy, somebody that can get, uh, get up in the air to can snatch and steal ball. And so when I saw that, I saw two guys that stuck out my mind, Matthew Gordon and Cameron Dodson. And I thought Dodson was a really nice athlete. He reminded me a lot of Cam Dolan, very rangy, has nice speed, uh, physical. Um, he was in the line out. He was stealing opposition ball quite a bit. So I really like those two guys at the lock positions. And I think those two guys could also, when they develop and mature, could, could see their way into an eight man as well. Yeah. And that's, you know, again, coming back to circling around to the point that many of these players will probably end up changing roles two or three times. And it's not even uncommon at the highest levels. When you look at Buster, for example, when he came to Rooney, um, in, you know, his change may have been for different reasons, but he excelled at, at, at eight as well as, as his original role of 13. Right. Um, so it will continually evolve. And so I, that's why I like being able to think about, okay, well, here's a position they've applied for, so to speak, and where else could you see them? Um, can we move on to the back line now, though, guys? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start it off with a scrummy, and Connor Buckley was a name. We had mentioned uh, Rudy Schultz Award finalist. He is one for the uh, 2019 calendar. Um, sorry, 2020, what am I saying? Um, which was this year. Um, you know, 21 years old, 
good age to be able to come. I mean, you got guys like Mika Kruse, who's 21, playing in the MLR. So I don't necessarily feel age is a factor. Um, I feel like the maturity of the player, and I think he's one of those that has that good head on his shoulders. Absolutely. You're, here's when you can start digging me, guys. So Connor Buckley's an Iona guy. I'm an Iona guy. Um, so ding, 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 ding. Um, he is probably the best player to take right now if you want to give somebody minutes as far as a scrum is concerned. I think he might be one of the best players in this MLR draft class. I think he does all the right things. He passes the ball. He runs the ball. He t- makes a tackle. He sets up the defense. He calls the game. He can kick if you need him to. Not that he's the greatest, but he can still you know slot it if you need him to. I think he gives you all that different range of putting him putting him anywhere in the backfield. But I definitely think he can get minutes right now. Maybe not starting, but definitely in some of those games where teams are winning big or losing big, get those crucial minutes you need at the beginning of your career to really learn something. Right. Just a quick follow-up, though, and maybe you can help me uh, understand it, and as well for our viewers as well of the MLR Rant podcast show. So he would need still have some time and education to be able to finish, but he could do it possibly even faster if you wanted to. I mean, you, we briefly spoke about that. Can you help me understand that again? So so I own a, the way – I went to Iona College, obviously. Uh, I did my MBA there. Um, they have already fostered a, uh, a, a, a culture of distance learning um, since, since I, I've been there. Um, when I was doing my undergrad at UMass, my friends at Iona doing their undergrad, some of them were distance learning. Um, and they do trimesters so they can kind of speed up the process of, of graduating. Um, so it's, it's just one of those things where that's what the college affords Right. Uh, and, and John Powers and those guys to do. Um, so I think if he has, if he, if he gets drafted uh, somewhere he wants to go, he can have that availability yeah. to take it. You know? And I think I actually saw in his little video that he mentioned that if he did, he could also be done with his studies by December, obviously meeting the preseason then and joining a team if he wanted to. So it's really awesome to be able to hear that these options are available to players that even if they aren't quite ready uh, well, with their finish with their education, it's still a possibility, as it, as you said before. Um, okay, I'll hand it over to you guys for another thought on a scrummy. What have you got? But, um, you know, we talked pre-show, uh, Darren Chan, uh, his name come up. Um, I thought yeah. he commanded the field real well. Uh, you know, he was, he's one of his, uh, upsides is he's a sniper. You always you know, he's, uh, he always had his eyes scanning, looking for the opportunity and finding the gap. And he, he had the pace and he had the quickness, uh, to, to hit that gap and find some space to make a break. So I think, that really played well into that into that uh, prototypical scrum half game when you look for that little sniper. Um, I would like to see him developmentally get a bit more zip on his path pass. I think he had pretty good range. You saw him hit a lot right. of missed passes and wide passes, which I think was good. Sometimes um, I think some of the the passes that were missing into the and going to the centers could use a bit more zip. Um, but uh, that's something that can be developed um, right. not only physically but also skills skill set wise. Yeah, you know, and also, that also good from, sorry, say again, Scott. Uh, I was just saying he has a great leg, so he has a possibility of playing that fly hat position too. So I think right. he can move in that nine ten slot depending on where you need him. Yeah, and just coming back to to some of the points that you guys have both made there with him, one of them was uh, the fact that he would say he's uh, – you know, as a scrummy, you got to be pretty quick to the breakdown. You need to move that ball, circulate it pretty quickly. I think he does a great job. I think almost sometimes it's a little too fast from the footage that I had seen. Uh, position of the players that he's re- they're receiving might not yet be set. And this is something that actually happened to Faf de Clack in the earlier parts of his uh, career. 
So when he had began playing uh, in South Africa, he was, you know, favored for being so quick at the breakdown, circulated the ball almost too quickly because position, uh, other players weren't yet in position. When he went to the Sale Sharks, he had learned to be able to write to when to hold that ball, when to re- let release, and that comes with a little bit of maturity. But um, you know, from what I had seen already, he's got the makings of like the same as as Faf had had. Is that he knows how to handle the ball, he knows when to spot that gap. So the rugby IQ is there. So yeah, if he can sure. go to the right place, if he can go to the right place under a good fly half and get that uh, mentorship from a player to say slow it down every so often. I think that that's an easy thing for him to learn if he could find the right person to help him with that. Right. Let me also just confirm with everybody. I had two names. The one was Connor Buckley and the other one was Darren Chan. So you de- and I definitely agree there, guys. Yep. Sure. All right. So fly half. What do we got there? Scott, you want to be able to share something there? Sure. I just I had one. I had one fly half. Matthew Marowitz. Um, he's a great kicker. He's a good passer. What? What I felt he can do, and quite like Carol Marsh did, was it's not that he can open up space, but that he finds the players that can create the space. So the passes okay. he sets up are going to create the space for the guys that he's passing to versus him, you know, maybe ducking and stepping here. But also, he can find that gap every once in a while, which which, which uh, Marsh was successful at. So um, I think with with his leg and his vision to get the ball out to the right person, uh, he'll make a, a great addition, you know? Excellent. Yeah. Rob, what are your thoughts? So at fly half, I, uh, I had Thorne O'Connell. Um, I think he yeah. was, he was waiting at like six to like two fifteen, two twenty, something like that. And, and, and I really thought he had, <laughs> thing. um, so <laughs> I, I thought he fit in, you know, <laughs> Zeke wise, he'd really fit well in at, at the MR, MLR level at uh, the 10, he had good tactical kicking, good vision, linked up very well uh, between the, the forwards and backs. I liked him. Um, you know, there are a couple other guys that stuck out at fly off too. Of course, Patrick Madden, one of our guests right. a few weeks ago, uh, looks really good. Um, and and Patrick had a lot of great skills, very quick. Um, concerned about his size at 5'10". You know, it's almost like you could see him being somebody who might look to develop at a scrum half. You know, because he has a high rugby IQ. He's extremely quick. Uh, Marcus Walsh sized. That's what we call that. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I liked I liked him. And um, there was another another young man, uh, Kabir, um, who looked electric, but all his stuff, all his footage was from sevens. So, you know, I thought he was an excellent sevens player and he really looked excellent. Uh, and and maybe US, the USA uh, sevens team has their eye on him, but I just didn't see any footage of him in 15s to get a good sense of a very different, how he would play in a very different game. Right. And sevens is a great game to learn many great skills, but they don't always overlap in the 15s game. Yeah. Um, you know, I just wanted to be able to take a moment. I had actually written O'Connell down as well. A uh, couple of notes there is I thought he was a great tactical kicker from what I had seen. Uh, pinpoint out, uh, you know, gaining territory. Great with the, uh, with the ball on, on foot. Uh, had a really mean inside step, like really nice, sharp turn. Um, from the footage I had seen, you know, it, was, it seemed like it was a great tool in his arsenal that, you know, he was using very often. Um, long passes again, great there, you know, skip pass. I mean, he can move the ball, he can run the ball and he can kick the ball. I mean, what else do you really need from a, from a fly off? Right. Um, so then the other one was of course, Patrick Madden, who, as you so rightly pointed out, was 
uh, great to be able to have on our show. He is, of course, a Rudy Award, uh, Rudy Schultz Award finalist. Uh, so he is in the elite. He was also the winner of the Ioni um, Best High School Rugby Player in the country. So he's got rugby pedigree written all over him. Uh, as you said, great rugby IQ as well. He could very well be a good fit for a scrum off. He could be a great fit for fullback, you know. Yeah. So there's some great options there in, in, in those two. Well, rugby fans, once again, thank you for all the support you've given us here at the MLR Rant Podcast Show. So please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel, hit the bell icon for notifications, or follow us on social media. This has been presented by the MLR Fan Zone. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to say, like, I mean, we're looking at fly halves, but I also got to be able to admit, and maybe you guys saw different footage to what I did, I didn't see any kicking records from them. Correct. I didn't no. see I didn't see any kicking records, but I know of this guy's reputation for kicking. Um, so I'm going off of other people's who I've right. spoken to. Um, and like I said, there's a lot of teams out there that we've seen playing the MLR that go for the kick. There's some teams that don't. So I do think he does fit into one of those teams' cultures that goes for the kick. Right. And you know, it's it's important to be able to note that I mean there wasn't a lot. Not every player had a, a, a footage out there. I mean, right. I, w- I would love to have said that they all do have that. But if we found it challenging and we were searching to be able to find stuff on them, it's also important to be able to realize that others would have the same problem. I would imagine that the guys who have had the most footage and have put the stuff out there or at least been in a position to be seen uh, will have a higher likelihood of being chosen. Because they didn't have the opportunity to be able to do the camps and they didn't have the opportunity uh, to be seen in a full season this year. Well, I wonder how many teams have their matches taped and and want to keep it private and then just give coaches when coaches ask for it, say, hey, I'm looking for tape on, you know, uh, Connor Buckley. And then Iona hands over the the, the match tapes, you know. So I wonder if maybe we're just not seeing it in the private of, of being a fan. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's important to recognize, too, that um, the highlight tapes are great and it's a great way to see, uh, you know, uh, particular um, skill sets from players such as kicking or passing or offloading or scrummaging or, you know, lineouts. But um, I, you got to think that a coach is also going to ask a player that they're interested in uh, for a couple of whole matches. Um, what, where are these players on the field when they don't have the ball in the hand? Where are they positioning themselves? I was thinking about this with wingers and fullbacks as we start to transition to more into the back line. Like being able to have video to see where uh, wingers and, and, and fullbacks are setting up when the ball is going to be kicked back to them because that's an important right. piece. Positional is, play. Positional play is an important piece for those back three that I don't think plays as much of a role in college because players don't have the the ability to kick quite as far and quite as long uh, that they definitely will on the MLR. And I think that's a particularly important skill set is to see where those kids are lining up. Right. And even when you are looking at, let's say, for example, you had the opportunity to be able to view a game and you could see their positional play and you could see their effort in kicking tactically or also for for points. Uh, You know, it's important to be able to realize that that's at college. I mean, if you're scoring tries regularly Mm -hmm. as a winger, you're not going to do the same in the MLR when you step up. Mm -hmm. It's just fair to assume that in, at the college level, there are more opportunity to run the ball. Uh, there's less IQ out there in terms of rugby. So, I mean, yeah, this is going to be the big challenges that they face, and it's going to be a massive step forward for them. So you're not only counting their ability on the field, you're looking at, and we've referenced it a couple of times, their maturity, maturity as a person, as a player. So 
um, the culture that they end up in in a rugby team is also just as important. You know, how will they fit in? What, what how what talents will they nurture? Um, but you know, stepping away from that, perhaps we should continue on to the rest of the back line. So I'm going to tell you that my next picks were the wings. So if you got anything in between at centers, what were your thoughts? I had. Yeah, I think- Oh, go ahead, Scott and I had no, no, Scott, go ahead. You and I had one of the same centers. So, uh, yeah. So I think we both picked Aaron Matthews out of St. Mary's, you know, the other Gales. Um, yeah. He makes, he makes his own space and defensively he's a great tackler. Um, probably one of the best tacklers in the draft. Okay. And, and I had um, Louis uh, Satima. Um, the guy was a freaking bowling ball. Like, uh, physically, I think he's one of those guys that could play in the MLR and see serious minutes right away. I every every highlight with ball in hand, he was putting uh, a, a label on somebody and letting them know that they were going to get uh, they were going to get rocked and and was an outstanding tackler as well. Like you know, in college, guys kind of lay off a little bit in the tackle. No, this guy initiated contact. Like he went after oh. people and put them on their backsides when he finished a tackle. So I thought he had some physical tools. Uh, was really smart finding space and used his, uh, his physical skills uh, right. to actually break tackles. And that's a trademark for a lot of these MLR teams is how physical the game has become yeah. almost season after season. You know, they're stepping it up as, as a unit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a great point. I mean, if you've got a guy who's already can match them physically on the field, uh, that's a great advantage. And Satama is also a good goal kicker, by the way. There's one guy that I didn't put him in my top 12, but uh, Watson Philly Katanga from Iona, the guy's like a freight train when he runs. Um, and he's elusive. He does have a good step. Um, I think it's it's one of those that maybe, again, if you're not going to draft him because of the potential, sign him as a free agent and teach him more of the rugby role versus just the free play. And I think you you have a very serviceable serviceable back out of him. Yeah, you reference a good point there again, uh, and I just want all of our podcast viewers and listeners to recognize when you reference, Scott, that, you know, well, you can pick him in the drop, or you could do so as a free agent. Can you take a bit of time just to be able to explain the difference for people so they recognize what you mean? Sure. So since he declared for the draft, and we'll use Watson as an example, um, if he is not picked in the 24 uh, picks, he then becomes a free agent and he has the ability to talk to any team and any team has the ability to talk to him. And since he declared, he can play in the 2021 season versus if you didn't declare, you had to, you had now have to sit out a full year and then you could play in 2022 as a free agent. Right. And that can be to their advantage in some cases. Correct. Uh, if you're a junior, yeah. if you're a junior and you don't like where you were drafted, you don't have to sign a contract. You don't speak to an agent. And guess what? You let your one-year kind of moratorium run out. And then you can actually declare again for the next year's draft and see where you're drafted. Right. And as I understand it, there are already some teams that have been fortunate enough to be able to invite players to come down to their uh, to their uh, their fields and be able to apply their trade and be able to share their talents Although it's it would have been in in a normal world would have been almost every team would have been doing this. Some have been able to do this and invite as many as ten players, um, so they've been able to get, see them live in some cases. And you would have to imagine that if they're making that effort, these guys already know who they want. Absolutely, and like I think I think we when we said before about the tape, you know, every MLR coach has been in USA in the United States 
in the rugby circles. So especially a guy like Greg McWilliams, who is coaching with Yale, he knows all the other coaches, the top 25 coaches. So, or even if you were in the USA um, Eagle side track, you're going to know everybody because they were under twenties, you know, and, and things of that nature. So I think there's more of a network of people to get that information than, like I said, that we do privately. Right. Absolutely. All right, gentlemen, can we move on to uh, wings? Absolutely. Rob, you want to go? Yeah. Um, so in wings, you know, I, I got to be honest, guys. I, I I don't I didn't really see any anybody that for me set the world alight and said, yeah, that guy can start playing um, for an MLR team or see some serious minutes uh, next year. Um, I, I you know what I'm looking for in a guy who's going to play play in the wing is a guy who just has electric pace. Um, there were a few guys, uh, that I did see that I liked in that, uh, you know, they would get outside and when they ran out of space, they would bring the ball back in and then they would look to offload. Uh, but nobody set the world alight for me. Um, I think there were a few guys that we've talked about that could fit themselves in at wing, um, if they can't find a place at their, at their preferred position. Um, so I'm interested to hear where, where you guys were at on the wing position. Well, I mean, I disagree. I think Derek Ellingson, again, St. Mary's, the other Gales, um, is is ready right now to throw him in. Again, I don't think anybody on my list can be a starter, but I think he could play serious minutes. He's very much like Connor Wallace-Sims. His positioning is very good. Um, he's very conscious of, of the kick. Uh, not, not overly conscious where it's going to put him out of position um, to make a defensive play uh, at the tackle, but just enough that he has it lingering in the back of his mind, hey, I got to get back. Um, and he does have a, a little bit of a boot, um, more of a fullback type boot where he can boot it downfield. Um, I also was uh, obviously John Powers. I know I'm picking all the Iona guys. We're talking about all the Iona guys. <laughs> I think the program they have built um, is underappreciated. And uh, John Powers actually played most of his career as a fly half. Um, so I'm unsure why he declared as a wing. I don't know if there's any tactic in that, um, but he's he, he's actually a fly half that creates his own space and has a leg to do it. So again, he has an X factor of he could play ten, he could play wing, he could he could probably play center, um, but his his leg is good enough that he could actually probably play fullback too. Yeah, um, but he he's really more of an X factor. Is that you said that he naturally had actually in the past played a ten, but mm-hmm. declared as a fourteen, well as a wing. Um, I mean, I may be perceived that like 10 is more of a saturated position, but then again, you could say the same for wing, right? Um, and does it really matter what they declare as at this I don't, time? I don't think it matters what you declare as. No. Um, you know, I mean, I would declare as a, a scrum half at my weight. I don't care. <laughs> and, and that's the thing I think we have to realize, guys, is, is that, you know, teams may see something in a player that they don't see in themselves. And then we see an opportunity. And, you know, I have to apologize. One was one guy, as I looked at my notes, that did come up, Liam Cook. He actually ah. played for the University of Glasgow um, yeah. and had played, I think, at the University of Auckland for a short stint maybe, um, yes. as well. Um, very strong, big big kid, good size in the wing. Um, really looked to link with his with his teammates. Um, so I, I liked him a lot in the wing. I have to apologize. He, he was one right. guy that stood out. Now, this is the standout for me. Um I'm glad you mentioned Cook because that is the one that I was going to talk about next if you didn't already bring it up. And uh, you hit the uh, the important points. You know, he's got uh, experience overseas. Uh, he's playing at a university level in Glasgow, uh, Scottish. But to be able to go beyond that, he also plays uh, Scotland under 18s and under 20s. Yep. So he's playing at the highest level of the game that it can offer in tier one rugby at his level of the game. 
So he comes with a level of experience that is probably unparalleled in comparison to his peers in the, uh, at least in that position, right? Yeah. Um, so the other points that are about his play that I had noticed, uh, great running line, great supportive line, uh, good with the ball in hand. He has already played at 10 um, in his previous career. So there's another one, which is why I brought it up. So he's a versatile player in the back line. Um, and uh, he's got a great uh, controlled kicking balance, yep. um, which I think is, is is the skill sets of what you need. So if you had to put all those factors together, he could probably do 10, he could probably do 14, he could definitely do 11 as a result, and he can definitely do 15. So if you're looking for a great player who's already proven himself at some of the highest levels that the game can offer him to date, that's one of them. Yeah, for sure. And I noticed this, that his kicking skill set too. Uh, yeah, it was, it was very good. I have one more name to be able to add in that uh, regard. Cole Zarcone or Zarconi. I might be butchering that. <laughs> so it's um, I honestly think this guy's probably I mean, he's not a starting player, but he's definitely a great player to be able to have on your bench. He's MLR ready to be able to be a second. Right. Did he, you have something you wanted to add there, Rob? He's raw. The kid came. He came to Central Washington playing football. Okay. Caught up in rugby because of his brother. And then he basically spent the summer between his freshman and sophomore year figuring out how to play rugby and then took an right. extra year, his fifth year. Um, and so you have very raw talent uh, with a guy who doesn't have a lot of experience. So the athleticism combined with somebody who's going to be real coachable and somebody who's going right. to really um, have a lot of – there's a, a, a lot of upside to his game. Well, I would have actually, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's also a large player. He's got the physicality, I think, in, in what you would want. Uh, I would see him at a 13. Um, so, again, I had thought about a player that has, has picked himself as this spot, but where else could I spot him in? Because we're not really sure, as you say. He's coachable yeah. and it's a moldable player. Um, what I did with the footage that I had seen, just one more point there, Scott, just a moment, is that while he was standing on the wing, he was happy to be able to come in uh, off the wing and play down the, the center line uh, with the right ball. He comes in hard, which is what made me think that he'd be a great inside center or, of course, at 13 as well. Well, my, my point was going to be, since he's so raw, his 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 boot's not there. And we know as the wing, you you might be in the position where you're going to have to really boot it right. to, to, for, for your advantage. So not having that, I think, is a big drawback for him playing wing. Yeah, this is why I said that I would see him more on the inside of uh, 12 and 13. Well, gentlemen, I think that that's what I have to be able to offer. Do you have a uh, fullback in mind? Me and Rob, we agreed on this one. Yeah. Uh, another LU product, the Lions, uh, <laughs> Ani uh, Matedo. Uh, they call him MTET is his nickname down there in, uh, in St. Charles. Um, he, he registers a 15, but I actually like him. It's kind of going with Scott, uh, Ty's philosophy. I really like him at center. The kid's got great size. He runs hard. Um, and he's got, uh, he's got a really nice kick. So it makes him a, a, an excellent option at 15 as well. But, um, I, I think the physicality is there for this kid straight away. And he's one heck of an athlete. Uh, from what I understand, he was, uh, he was actually could have gone, uh, in South Africa, to play cricket uh, professionally. Instead, he, he chose to come to the United States and he was at ICC. Um, you should, you should be familiar with that. Right, Scott. Uh, our right tie yep. over yeah. there. In, <laughs> over there in Iowa. So um, yeah, I liked him a lot. I think Scott had him. 
Yeah, yeah, I also had him. I think his boot is what makes him unique, especially for a fullback. Okay. If I was a team that was looking for a fullback, I'd pick him, um, especially if you're going to have the new 50-20-22 uh, rule there. Um, this is a guy now you can hone that skill to get that, use that big boot to get it out into touch. Um, and you can use him at center. He is he, he is really good running the ball. But not a lot of guys have power in a boot like that, so I think you would want to – Really rain them in at fullback. Yeah, I mean, a player that reminds me of what you're talking about, like the best example I can think of uh, as an international player was Francois Stein. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he came onto the scene at 19 years old and was drop kicking it from 62 meters out in World Cup rugby. Uh, you know, he was also then from from fullback moved to inside center. So yeah, I mean, that's what you you love to be able to to see is a player that can that can take on many different roles. Uh, it is going to evolve because all of these guys, as you said, uh, Rob, is need to be coachable and moldable. So they might not even realize where they're best suited uh, and how they can become an asset to the teams just yet. Absolutely. Honestly, I think if Rooney took him, imagine him coming to a Rooney team and who's teaching him how to play fullback? Ben Foden. Yeah. Right. I mean, can you think of any greater mentor in Major League Rugby for that position? I mean, you're talking about a guy who has the pedigree of international status with England and uh, – obviously a veteran of, of, of uh, leagues around the world and at home. So, yeah, I mean, this is it. And you talk about, you know, think about that's another aspect that I just popped in my head is, I mean, would you be picking, you pick these players and you pick a mentor for them in that team. I mean, you got guys with the international experience that's coming in right now. Uh, I know it was the same for, for, for Rene Ranger when he was uh, um, at uh Colorado Raptors and Mika Cruze, it's almost like his level of the game stepped up. Now, he did also from 2019, 2020, pick up a lot extra weight because he needed it. Um, but he became a better player by playing with people better than him aside, alongside him and also against him. And that's what's going to happen for every one of these guys. Absolutely, for sure. Well, gentlemen, I'm uh, going to say that we've probably given far more than 12 names and uh, only time will be able to tell where it lands or if it lands right. Um, but I would not be surprised to be able to see the bulk of these being drafted, but who really knows? I mean, only only, uh, only time will tell, and that'll be uh, next week on the 13th of June in Dallas, right? Yep. Hey, just remember, in baseball, batting 300 is a good average. I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, I had this conversation the other day with my father-in-law, and it's kind of like, imagine you were told that you could only be three out of 10 times correct in your job, and you would be doing really well. <laughs> right. And you'd be a Hall of Famer. Right. So, uh, you know, i just like to say, what I'm really interested to see next, uh, next Saturday is a name that we never thought of that didn't come up. Somebody who right. was kind of Wow. Um, it wasn't on anybody's radar and has come through and it'll be interesting to see then how a player like that develops uh, in a particular system. Teams will see something in players that nobody else has seen uh, and that will help them in their development. And jumping on that, maybe we'll see a crossover player, a player maybe declared for the MLR draft that we didn't realize that actually didn't play rugby or was on a team that was so small, you know, division two, division four, but they were playing, you know, division two football and they're trying their hand at rugby. So, you know, there could be a player kind of, yeah, like that. Well, Nick Savetta, what, what didn't he, didn't he go to whitewater? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a division two team, he was on a national championship team, but um, you know, a, a division two team that largely gets overlooked because of D one, but you know, here we have a national team player playing a straight in, in Italy. 
Yeah, well, you know, what we've got is only a very small sample of who have actually, uh, you know, draw, well, entered the draft. I mean, with nearly 400, and we're, we're, we're only having a very, very small sample here. And it's not to be able to say that there isn't, you know, as you so rightly pointed out, that gem out of all of them that we haven't yet noticed. And I think that's what's brilliant about the MLR draft. Um, and next year it'll even be even better because they'll have the windows to be able to participate with the teams. They'll have the opportunity to finish a full season, hopefully. Um, so this is the first of what I hope will be many great MLR drafts. And uh, the concept itself is is new and exciting to, to rugby in the U.S. Um, I mean, it's a system that's been adopted uh, for rugby um, from other American sports here, because it's not one that's that's been very often used elsewhere in rugby. So, not only does does the MLR happen to 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 find a great way to be able to access players and give them a pathway to professional rugby, but they might very well be pioneers in recruiting in rugby itself. Absolutely, and this is the way currently the way that American players will be entered into the MLR. Um, most American players are playing collegiate rugby. Everybody wants the MLR to push American players. This is how they can do it. Right. With I think the estimate is is about uh, 900 different college teams across the U.S. Uh, combination between men and women's. So you think about that player pool that if you can finally find a way to be able to tap into it is amazing. For sure. Well, gentlemen, I think that we've given it the time that uh, it deserves. And uh, that has been our picks for the uh, – Major League Rugby, uh, what should we say, Collegiate Draft was the word I was looking for there. Lost my place for a second. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously we'll find out. We have hopes to be able to share it live. Um, we hope to be able to share footage. We're going to be uh, hoping that you'll join us. We're going to be showing this live on the various different platforms that we employ. Make sure that you, as a Major League Rugby rant podcast viewer or listener, Look out for the updates that are coming on Facebook, social media platforms like Instagram and Twitter. We'll share it in whatever way possible. We'll let you know when we know when it's happening, how it's happening, and we'll share the information as it's happening. That it will be our promise to endeavor to make that happen. And uh, with uh, the time available, I think uh, that we've got a week to be able to prepare, so we should be able to learn in this week. For myself, Rob, and Scott, I want to be able to say thank you for taking the time to be able to share this with us. This is the Major League Rugby Rant Podcast Show. Well, rugby fans, that's another episode done and dusted. Make sure that you follow us on YouTube, follow us on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages to be able to learn more about upcoming episodes. And once again, thank you for listening to the Major League Rugby Rant Podcast Show.